the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 to close out our week. It's just a delight to be able to do so with our dear friend Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, You can follow his work over on Twix. Uh, His handle is at Pete4CA, Twitter X, Twix, Pete4CA, the number four. He's always posting really interesting stuff. Pete, we haven't checked in in a while. How you doing, man? Real good, Seth. Good to be with you. Great to have you. Great to have you. And do I wish you a happy anniversary? Or is it a valaniversary? I'm looking at your Twitter feed. Valaniversary. That's right. That's right. The the delightful Mrs. Peterson and I celebrate 20 years uh, this year. Wonderful. And that was on Valentine's Day. Wonderful. I wanted to ask you, actually, I wanted to ask you about what was of interest uh, on your campus over the past couple weeks, any interesting conferences. But I actually also wanted to talk to you about Brad Wilcox and his book on marriage and some of the stuff yeah. someone you and I have spoken a lot about. I've interviewed him a few yep. times. You know him very well, I think. Um, so let me use the anniversary issue as, yeah. as a springboard for that conversation. <laughs> very good. And we'll come back to the goings-on at Pepperdine um, in a minute or two. He posted something really interesting, uh, Brad Wilcox did the other day. I I ended up doing a monologue on it. But he wrote, as a student and professor at the University of Virginia, Virginia, I have learned, lived, and taught in the shadow of its founder, Thomas Jefferson. And then he wrote about the problems we're having with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whether we're talking about um, deaths of despair, whether we're talking about the poverty rate, whether we're talking about um, economic problems. And uh, the ability to raise yourself out of poverty. And he concludes, no surprise to you, he says, it's really not just schools. It's really not inequality in, in the economy. It's not really race. It's not even really the occupant of the White House. It's the falling fortunes, fortunes of marriage and family in our nation. Mm. Mm. You want to say a word or two about that? No surprise yeah, that he would write that, right? No uh, yeah, you know, uh, but uh, I'm thinking about several different threads I'm going to try to tie together here. Okay. One was um, I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Ian Rowe from uh, the American Enterprise uh-huh. Institute uh, on Monday, uh-huh. and he has a book out called Agency, and he describes uh, his plan for getting people who are growing up in very difficult circumstances. You know, he's uh, launched one and now is launching a second uh, large charter school in the Bronx, Uh uh, a plan that he has developed that goes by the acronym FREE, which is um, family, religion, education, and entrepreneurship. Uh And the importance of family and family formation, particularly in the communities where Ian works, um, is just so profound. And 
the point that Ian makes in the book um, is that it's one thing to talk about family formation and just say, well, you know, if you didn't grow up in a two-parent household, then, you know, you've you're automatically going to have these challenges. He decides to make it a a part of the actual education curriculum there for these K-12 schools. Um, But to say there's a difference between the family that you're from and the family that you're going to form. And what he's found, even though several of the teachers, uh, when he was looking to put this program into practice, said, you know, we don't want to make the kids feel bad, you know, the the single parent household percentages and the places where he's he's working is in the eighty five to ninety percentile oh, range, you know. Yeah, I bet. But when he actually went to the parents of the kids, not to the the teachers and those he was and working with, and my parents were probably school. talking moms, right? Mostly. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. When he went to the moms to say, would it? Would you be okay with the fact that I'm, it's all going to be data-driven? I want students to know that there are several factors that would give them a better chance at a successful life. The parents to a person all said, yes. Oh, that is I want so my interesting. Kids to know that. Oh, my gosh, that is so interesting. And that tacks on to something I said earlier, but I don't want to stop your momentum. If you want to keep going, no, I'll, but I'll just, circle just back to, to that. Just to say that there's yeah. that anytime we talk around these issues around marriage, and again, I, I we've talked about this before. I grew up in a single parent household. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it's not just the data, but the the stories of of what it's like to grow up in a single parent household versus a two parent yep. household. Yep. Um, it it. If it is just going to be about we don't want to make people feel bad if that they're in that situation, as opposed to flipping the script, as the kids say, uh-huh. and saying, no, this actually, this is information you need to know as you're making decisions about your own life. Mm-hmm. This isn't about casting aspersions or making people feel bad, mm-hmm. but the data is the data. And if we're interested in creating the next generation of students that have personal agency over their lives, then even the parents who are in these situations are the ones that are encouraging this type of education. So fascinating. I'll tell you why. I I didn't know we were going to go here. I'm glad we did. Um, Previous to your coming on the show today, the hour uh, before you, I had on um, someone you may or may not know. I don't know if you know Ed uh, Morrissey. He's managing editor of Hot Air. You know Ed a little bit? Yeah. And we yep. were – I don't know how we got into this topic, but um, yeah, we did. We were doing religion, not marriage. We were doing religion. And I guess there's the intersection, and I was telling him the story that you and I have discussed before, that old Crocker Bank commercial that begins in uh, with in a church with a young married yeah. couple, and we've yeah. only just begun and all that with the priest. Yeah. and. How you just wouldn't see those ads today. And so we were staying on the religion part and the assault on religion – the yeah. marriage part. I'm, so let's let's take the other half of that equation and talk about the marriage part. He said around that time. He's a little older than me. He said around that same period of time, 1970-ish. He remembers the feminist movement was mm. making huge uh, efforts to go after deadbeat dads and mm-hmm. make stronger the laws to do so. And I said, well, my memory is maybe a decade later the effort was not only to make the laws on child support even stronger. My memory is there was an element of shame. There was a there was, there was an effort to publicize the faces uh, in newspapers yeah. and in yep. post offices of fo- yep. 
I remember. You remember it too. I sure do. So interesting, that point. And then there was this weird, over the last 15, 20 years, this weird quietus put on this discussion of single-parent homes as the ideal, just like you said, and your friend was saying, you know, there's this reticence to talk about it lest it feel critical or lest it be seen as critical of those that are brought up or the mother. But the mothers want the conversation. That's what is so fascinating to me, Pete, that you just brought out. Because they know damn well what they've had to go through. And they know that you can raise a kid in Beirut. It's just harder. They know you can raise a kid without two parents. It's just harder. Right. And, and of course, they love their kids. Yeah. 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 And, and, and really, the best parents are the ones that, that do want the best for their kids yeah. and are willing to be humble enough to say, you know, I, I may have made certain life choices for whatever the reasons, and maybe for reasons that I didn't even fully understand the implication of those decisions at the time. But I really hearing and understanding, um, you know, what the data is saying and the importance and, and seeing just in front of them the importance of, of, uh, of a two-parent family. Yeah. Um, they, they, they do want that taught. And I, I, I do think, and it was really one of Ian's great realizations. Yeah. You know, he's surrounded by the, by the education experts, yeah. the teachers and other administrators are saying, don't go there. Don't, don't talk, talk about, about that. You yeah. know, we don't right. want the kids to feel bad and yeah. so forth. But when you speak with the parents, that's when he realized, my goodness, that is you know, so th- this is who we really need to listen to. Uh, yeah. We need to get this around more because, you know, it's it's sad time uh, that there's this growing, I don't know, growing uh, growing market of things we're not supposed to be able to talk about that demand being talked about and this is one of them right there's you know there's this growing list of things that they want to put the quietest on that oh you can't discuss that lest it be offensive that people really do want to have the conversations on and those wanting to shut it down seem to be these pseudo sophisticated experts but the ones who are most affected right. really want to have the conversation damn it they, they right? do they do yeah, <laughs> yeah. let yeah. me take a let me take a commercial break you're good for a little bit here I do. Yep. Great. Pete Peterson is my guest. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. He's really one of my favorite public intellectuals. That is one of my favorite institutions. When we talk about the problems in higher education, Pepperdine is the solution. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you in part by our dear friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your precious, your your valued source for precious uh, metals. One of our valued sources for precious thinking is um, Pete Peterson. He's the Mm. dean of the Pepperdine School. We're talking a little bit about marriage, and a scholar he has out there are, I think – do you have Brad Wilcox out there? But why do I think that you and Brad Wilcox are very close? I don't mean to say something that's not true if I am. No, we've definitely had okay. him out here on yeah. a couple of occasions. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, and a huge fan of his work. Good, so. good, good. Professor at University of Virginia just has a new important book out on marriage. And he's talking about, you know, the decline in marriage being responsible for a lot of social, societal – and economic problems. And, and Seth, yeah, if I could just inter- interject, please. I actually found that passage of the book. Um, of Again, this is Ian Rose's book, Agency, where he mentions having this learning experience. Could, okay. I, could I just read this I quick would love passage it. here? I would love it. 
So this is um, in the chapter titled Robbing Our Young People of Agency, in which he says, in my, this is directly, in my own work in low-income communities, I started to see the disconnect between those who claim to advocate for people in challenging situations and those in the situations themselves. My conversations with single parents in the community revealed that far from being insulted, these parents welcomed the idea that schools would have the courage to speak to their children about better life course decisions. There you go. There you go. Um, I suspect it will be easier to is his is his free are his free schools charter schools. Yes, I, I suspect yep. it will be easier to do it in the charter schools. I just oh, suspect. absolutely, I and suspect. and that's frankly one of the reasons why he's you know pursuing yeah. this course. But he understands that schools, as we as we all do, and you and I have talked about this many times, Seth. It's, it's not just about the the transmission of information, right? right? This is about the formation of individuals, I and know. I know. and it and and that can be done not only through the great books and literature and curriculum that can also be done really. And this is really what's so interesting about it is these are, this is just data transmission as well, right? Well, this it is, is now. I mean, given the, shown, given right, what we've learned right. about marriage, whether it's from right. the old Brookings work or Brad's yep. work or yes, yep. right. It is now. That's yep. interesting about education. Um, you can feel free to invoke Pepperdine in this Two, one of my all-time favorite quotes is Theodore Roosevelt's that to educate a man in the mind and not the morals is to educate a menace to society. And I suppose that's what I was thinking of when I talked about these pseudo-sophisticated intellectuals, the education experts, uh, so to speak, who don't (laughs) want you to talk about marriage. Uh, They're very credentialed, and they're very, very, very dumb. <laughs> well, and, and some of it is, is it, it just Sorry, shows. I, I don't mean to get you in trouble. <laughs> well, and yeah, I appreciate that. But I would just say that the there's this is just evidence of when ideology overtakes facts, right? I mean, again, as you said, and we've cited the work of folks like Wilcox and and people on the left, you know, and Isabel Sawhill at at Brookings, yep. and you know, uh, these are yep. uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan yep. for crying out loud, yep. right? right. Um, so the, the the information and the data just it it really is about telling it like it is and uh, the courage that it that it requires. And I mean, I don't want to go off too far on a tangent, but we. We are living in a time, and I, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of, uh, uh, like, I saw in a recent interview with Natan Sharansky. Um, I, I do want to come to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I but, mean, but just before the ability I do, let's, to speak. Yeah, go ahead. No, just the ability to speak the truth today yeah. is, is getting, well, that's is getting right. difficult. That's right. You know, I was thinking you were mentioning Sawhill and the Brookings Institute and Moynihan, do you remember the famous admission of the Atlantic Monthly, Dan Quayle was right, by Barbara DeFoe Whitehead, I mean, on this very issue. So we've been at this for, I guess, almost about 30 years now. Well, Moynihan before that, but at least since the Dan Quayle uh, explosion over the issue, it's been about 30 years, and we do know what's right. Now, but before we get to the Sharansky stuff, you know, I just want to stay a moment on the marriage thing because the institution obviously 
has a lot of problems in and of itself, what people have done to it, people in it have done to it. I was happy to see some conservatives over the last week, and I don't know what the impetus was, but some conservatives tweeting about how if you're not going to talk about divorce, um, you're going to be missing one mm-hmm. of the worst things you can do to a child. And that's been taken a, that's taken a long time to get people to accept as well. Divorce is one of the most harmful things that we probably, I, I'll speak for myself, in the conservative movement, have not spent enough time on when we talk about marriage. We have talked about marriage arrangements. We have talked about the single parent stuff, but we haven't talked enough about divorce. And I do agree that it is one of, if not the most harmful thing you do to a child outside of physical abuse. Yeah, it's uh, certainly the data is showing the damage that uh, divorce does. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, it, it continues to go back to these issues around uh, parenting and the ramifications, the reverberations, the things that follow on from divorce, uh, the sharing of children, uh, certainly in instances where uh, one parent might move away. There are you know, implications to uh, that. Then there's obviously the prospect of remarriage and dating of uh, divorced parents and what that does. Uh, with children as well. I think it is very fair. I I do think, um, and I've given this some thought, uh, a place, an institution which has not really uh, taken on this issue, I think for some obvious reasons, is the church. Uh, I've been going to mostly evangelical churches for the better part of the last 30 years. And I, I, I don't think I could even, I could barely number on one hand yep. the number of sermons of the thousands that I've heard in that time period yep. about the importance of marriage and uh, the challenges presented uh, in divorce, much less the, the biblical And they used to be entire ministries of churches dealing with this, yeah. with marriage counseling, premarital counseling, I should say, yeah. and all that kind and of stuff. And there's still a lot of that going yeah. on. I, I'm just not hearing the church's voice uh, on the importance of marriage and the importance of staying together. Yeah, the commitment, the importance right. of the lack of selfishness uh, that goes on in these long-lasting relationships. And what? again, there can be myriad reasons why a divorce is precipitated. Of I don't course. mean to say that that should not be... Um, yes, you know, of course. No, even, but what we have made... Biblically, yes, that no, is, we agree that is on that. Consideration. Right, right. right. We just, I'm just we saying have I'm somehow not made the, the aberrational or the necessary right. extreme circumstances the common. And uh, let me take a break and come back. Yes? Yep. Yep. Pete Peterson is my guest, and he is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. You want a career in public policy, that's the place to go. Under his tutelage, great things are happening over there. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Pete Peterson, um, dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is my guest. We're talking a lot about marriage Pete, I don't know if in your role, either as, you know, a member of your church, uh, the dean at Pepperdine, a teacher, just an adult and mentor to others, I don't know if um, if people come to you much or on occasion, you know, talking about their relationships, especially if they're single, but, you know, what you do hear an awful lot of shows like this, um, Dennis Prager show, you hear an awful lot of 
complaints, okay, fine, I agree with you. (laughs) Marriage is an ideal. It is the ideal. I actually want to get married, but where are the good women or where are the good men? Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, It's interestingly now almost equal, those questions. They (laughs) used to tilt more Mm -hmm. one direction. My experience is in people talking to me, it seems in the research I've done, it seems to be a little bit more equal. Um, now, of a complaint, um, we've we've done that um, as as human beings. We we've made uh, the lack of a good man and the lack of a good woman the eligibility. You know, we've we've diminished that too with ourselves, haven't we? Some of that is education. Some of it's religion. Some we as a society have have made men and women less eligible or less. I'm trying to avoid a word word here. Well, I think it's certainly the case that. You know, just going back to that um, example you raised about the advertising yep. in, say, the 70s and yep. 80s, that it's it's not something that we're seeing espoused in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that's, that's part of it. And to go through the experiences that I know that for example, an Ian Rowe has, and a Brad Wilcox. I mean, he is not the most popular person on the UVA campus, much yeah. less going to uh, conferences of sociology. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is, right? So, I mean, these are people that are having to take courageous stands for the truth about marriage. Um, and the fact that they have to be create, courageous in so doing shows that the the, the cultural and academic challenges or the challenges within culture and the academy uh, to both researching in this area, promoting these themes and discussing these topics um, does speak to a, a culture that's broken and frankly, an academia that's broken. Yeah. If it's not able to do what we've entrusted academia to do, which is to pursue truth no matter where it leads. And that, that to me, um, really does show, uh, whether it's in culture or academia, the two places where you should be holding up truth and beauty. Um, and, and marriage is one of those institutions <laughs> that, uh, that there need to be, uh, there needs to be a much greater role for this argument, uh, in the popular culture and certainly within the academy. My old buddy, I don't know if this fits into any of this at all, but it's just top of mind. My old buddy, uh, Jonathan Rausch, is uh, from Phoenix. He's coming back for the weekend, and we're going to get together for coffee on Sunday. And um, I'll never forget in, I think it was 03 or 04, we were both in D.C. at the time. The debate around gay marriage was really hot then. It was really big then, and he was one of the early and big proponents of gay marriage. And I remember we were kind of going through a debate on it and um and there was this part of the argument was about how it diminishes gay marriage might diminish the currency of marriage you remember that p- kind of part of the debate and i, I remember, do yeah i remember he turned yep. to me and said and what do you think britney spears's three-day marriage did to the currency yeah. of marriage yeah wow yeah. right i just i, I was yeah. playing in my mind as i'm thinking i'm going to see him this weekend and as we're having this discussion because we do it to ourselves too don't we I mean, we no, I think that's absolutely right, Seth. I think that's absolutely right. There needs to be a real separateness and a demonstration by those who uh, 
hold on to these values to actually practice them. And I think one of the ironies in culture today that people like Charles Murray and others have talked about is that many of the people doing these things personally in in marriage and so forth are are also the ones at the same time that saying it's not really important for others to practice that. Uh, or to call out people like a uh, Brad Wilcox or an Ian Rowe that are saying, no, these things are important. They're actually more important for those who are in the most challenging of economic circumstances. Got one more segment in you, Pete? I do. Thank you, sir. I love, uh, I can only imagine what it looks like where you're perched on a Friday afternoon, looking at the... Uh, We're on the other side of the rain, thankfully. Well, on the other side of the rain, but looking at the mountains and the oceans and having to talk to Seth Liebson about these abstruse <laughs> on a Friday <laughs> afternoon when you just want to go surfing. Pete Peterson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you in part by our good friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Pete Peterson is our guest dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Pete, did you want to say where I, it was It was pregnant what you wrote on Twix, Twitter X, uh, about Sharansky. Did you want to say a word about that in academia? Well, I, I just think that um, he is becoming, again, a voice, um, unfortunately, in the wilderness, but, but calling out the West for... Or, uh, both its uh, naivete when it comes to anti-Semitism, um, but also the issues around, um, and we've talked about this before, the uh, the fact that uh, the phrase that I use is, this is not your father's anti-Semitism. Uh-huh. This is a, a different type of what I would call ideological anti-Semitism in that it is being driven by this separate ideological lens that sees the world through uh, this perspective of either one side being an oppressed and the other being an oppressor. And that lens has now been placed on top of Israel such that Israel is seen as the oppressor, even in light of the attacks of uh, October 7th and Hamas is supposedly the oppressed. And I you know, it is one of those things that um, the when the ideology is uh, seen in other lights, you know, when the attacks have come upon America as being the so-called oppressor nation, we, I think, by and large, just kind of weather that and let it run off our back. But I don't think we take in really the full impact that that ideology can be applied to a lot of different things and is being applied into places uh, where, uh, in this instance, it is becoming the real engine behind much of the current anti-Semitism that we're seeing on America's college campuses. Do you think, Pete, we've talked a lot about this issue. We could probably have cobbled together a book on our post-October 7th conversations. But do you think the anti-Semitism that we're seeing on our campuses, I'm going to be very bold, stark about this. Do you think it has anything to do with Israel? Or do you think it's there regardless of Israel? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I... And I'll tell you why I I, I tend toward the second. And I tend toward the second because it's the same view of America, really. Right. And then I... I, So that's why I think, you know, 
There was a, a an organization we mentioned before this uh, Students for Justice in Palestine, right, right, right. Um, which is a national network of undergraduate student organizations. Very kind of murky. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, organized group. I mean, if you go on their website, and they do have a website, it's very difficult to see where the funding is coming from and who the leadership is and so forth. So just setting that aside, that was an organization making many of these arguments uh, for years yeah. on college campuses. But again, it was just kind of seen as, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, you're you're making this argument about Israel and so forth. But for those arguments and the protests to be ramped up in light of the atrocities of October 7th, I think finally got people's attention to say, you know, this it's the anti-Semitism is evil as it stands. But it's important to understand that this is a little bit different than the one that we've seen in the past that precluded people from getting into certain clubs and neighborhoods and organizations. This is something that's being driven um, by this perspective on the world that would see um, those that support Israel and Israel itself as a so-called colonialist uh, oppressor nation. Do you find it um, odd or particularly troubling, I find it at least particularly troubling, extra troubling, that so much of this is coming from um, female students and academic women, the women's side of of the male-female divide on this? It's been my observation anyway. Well, in part, if it is, and I I don't, I mean, that that certainly may be the case. Um, uh, it It would make sense that it's also coming out of departments um, that may be predominantly women. Now, I'm thinking about some of the things that I've seen even at my alma mater undergraduate in George Washington. Uh Um, There was a a panel organized around October 7th in which these were political science faculty who were all male that were making these points around Israel being an oppressor nation. Um, But suffice it to say, you're going to see most of these voices in the social sciences, and certainly the data is showing that um, year over year, it is becoming certainly a a higher percentage of of women in these uh, both PhD programs and, and then uh, faculties. Yeah, and the reason I raise it, uh, thank you for that, and and the reason I raise it is because it is odd that if one wants to talk about, you know, women's rights, feminist rights, it, it, you know, I don't know of two countries that are more hated by those self-described movements that actually convey more rights than those very places that they seem to hate. Well, the most. of course, this, this is the great yeah, irony right, yeah, of yeah, these protests, yeah, right? Yeah, that right, you're right. you're seeing a, a number of different left wing groups yeah. that are espousing the the cause of Hamas. Yeah. That if they should set foot inside Gaza City, it would be a very difficult existence for them. A very short one. <laughs> a, very, a very short one indeed. Maybe well, a, maybe it, a week. And, and it, but it, but it just shows that. Oh. You know, that that people are willing to so-called set these things aside in order to attack 
uh, Israel For in sure. this case, or America in this case, uh, in another case. So um, it just shows the lengths to which people are blinded by these ideo- ideologies. Well, thanks for opening up everyone's eyes, Pete. It's great visiting with you. Have a great weekend, sir. Thanks for your time with us and everything else. You too, Seth. Great to be with you again. Have a good weekend. Surf's up. Pete (laughs) from Pepperdine School of Public Policy. I'll be right back. so funny you're coming in with that song, young David. It's funny you're coming in with that song, Windy by the Association, right? The Associate Windy? The reason it's funny is because we need to announce our winner of the week um, to the free pair of tickets that we give away every Friday for our um, event on March 26th, Fighting for Freedom. And uh, that's the event we're doing with Mike Gallagher and Brandon Tatum and myself and some others. Again, you can get tickets at 960thepatriot.com. We do give away a pair of tickets every Friday, um, and uh, it's just going to be a fantastic event. Hopefully, we'll see you all there. And in our giveaway, we can announce this week, as we do every Friday, winner. And it's not Wendy, but it is Wendy. Wendy Madison is our winner for uh, this week. She and uh, whoever she wants uh, are on are going to our Fighting for Freedom event with Mike Gallagher, Brandon Tatum, and myself on March 26th on the house, on the house, so to speak. So um, great. There. Done. You take it from here, David. What are you doing tonight? You're going, oh, you're going to the party I wasn't invited to. That's what you're doing tonight. Yeah. The party I was uninvited from, too. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. Want, yeah, well, I, I, you don't I want me talking about uh, it. Uh, <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> okay, it's been a long week. You've done a great job, folks. Thanks for spending some of your week with us. Thanks for spending some of your day and hour with us as well. Until Monday, um, I am Seth Leaps, and on behalf of David Dahl and Mr. Bill and Teresa and the rest of the crowd here, God bless you all, and class is. Dismissed. Who are we giving it to? Elvis? Elvis will take us home. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.